Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome again to another edition of Lost in Science across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Stu and on this week's show I'm going to be looking at a recently published paper from Nature which goes some way at least to proving that uh, Indigenous Australians have been here for around about 50,000 years based on their DNA and also a lot about how they moved around the country as well when the first people arrived here. Claire. Well, actually today I'm going to be looking at a study to come out of NASA on identical twin astronauts. So Mark and Scott Kelly are both uh, twin brothers and they're both astronauts but NASA have done an experiment on them, Um, sent one twin into space for a year and the other twin to Earth. And so we're going to look a little bit about that and how it's been misreported in the media. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've read some angry tweets on that topic. (laughs) It's your favourite pastime, isn't it? Angry tweets? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Chris, how about you? Well, it is that time of the year in, in Melbourne where we, we record a studio, so 3CR here in, in sunny Melbourne. Uh, we're approaching Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I believe it actually may have already started. Great! And we always, every year, we try to find the science shows. And this year, we are talking to comedian Alanta Colley about her show about bees. Oh, fantastic! Alanta did a show a couple of years ago about parasites. Yes. And now she's got one on bees. Yes, it's called Days of Our Hives. Oh, well, she is the bee's knees. That, the best knees there are. <laughs> now, Chris, um, she isn't the only one in the comedy festival with a science-inspired show. You also have one. Can you tell us a little bit about your show? Oh, yes. Th- th- thanks for asking, Claire. <laughs> yes. No, um, I do actually have a little show on. It's um, it's called Dr. Chris's Theory of Everything. Oh. So where I basically try to mansplain everything. <laughs> Well, seeing as I have the great pleasure of sitting opposite you once a week talking about science, um, I'm very much looking forward to what else you can tell me because I thought you would have told me about everything by now. Oh, look, no, this is is literally everything. (laughs) After this show, there is nothing more to be told at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, quick plug, it is on um, at the Butterfly Club in Melbourne from the 9th to the 15th of April. Um, Yes, um, that's all there is to say. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Excellent. On with the show. So if I was to ask you where Sahul is, what would you say? Sahul, it does sound familiar. Is it is it somewhere in Africa? No. It's actually the name of the continental landmass that includes Australia. Oh. So the basically the big shelf that we sit on. Right. Australia, Tasmania and Papua New Guinea yeah. and West Papua are part of giant continent called Sahul. But what happened is uh that those landmasses that are now islands were once connected by land bridges. Yeah. Um, so sea levels have risen as much as 150 metres since then, and the populations of people uh, were isolated from each other about 9,000 years ago, they estimate. These different populations of people were sort of 
around in the areas where they were, obviously, before the land bridges uh, got submerged. Yep. And DNA analysis of samples uh, collected in the 20th century have revealed that many of the populations in Australia were isolated from each other much earlier than 9,000 years ago and isolated from the people in Papua New Guinea as well. So in a paper in Nature early this month, they analysed DNA from hair samples collected all around Australia from the 1920s to the 1970s, and they got permission from the families of the Indigenous people who gave the samples. So they actually had to go through a big process to get approval to do all of this experimentation. But they had the mitochondrial DNA of 111 people from three distinct regional groups, uh, and they analysed that and compared it to more recently connected DNA samples from Australian Indigenous people and Indigenous people in Papua New Guinea. Um, So mitochondrial DNA is used to estimate divergence rates in populations because it it changes much slower than nuclear DNA, which is the part that you get part from your mother and part from your father. So those changes are quite rapid um, because you get the DNA from both parents, whereas the mitochondrial DNA pretty much stays the same over longer periods of time. According to the analysis, even though there was a land bridge connecting uh, PNG and Australia, there was little movement of people between those areas. Even just before the 9,000-year sort of cutoff, Papua New Guinea people didn't come to Australia and Australian Indigenous people didn't go to Papua New Guinea, uh, apparently. Or not much. Or Yeah, not, not very much interaction, basically. Mm. But they did find that when people got to Australia around 50,000 years ago, so they've actually put that figure down and said, yeah, this is how long we reckon the Australian Indigenous people were here, about 50,000 years ago. And they moved rapidly around the coastline, both west and east. So they came from the north and moved around the coastline on the west coast and on the east coast. And they met up again after about 10,000 years. They met up in what is now South Australia. So the uh, the people, the Indigenous people in South Australia from the east of the state have different genetic makeup to the Indigenous people from the west of the state because they'd come around opposite coastlines, basically. So also around 40,000 years ago, they estimate that Tasmania was settled at some point, so before the land bridge to Tasmania was submerged. And they also think that the tribal groups that established themselves in this wave of settlement have pretty much stayed in the same areas up until European colonisation. So they sort of settled out in all different areas of the country, all different areas of Australia, and pretty much stayed in their general area for that whole 50,000-year period. So they've had um, continuous occupation of the areas which each tribal group was was, uh, originally settled. Um, so how, how do they know that that's like been the same for, for that long in that area if they're looking at like samples from only the 20th century? Well, this is, one of the, this is one of the problems that they have with the kind of research, but they can actually tell because the, uh, the mitochondrial DNA mutates so slowly that they can still recognise distinct groups and that the changes are, they can track based on where they were, where they've collected the samples how the changes have spread through the populations. But they do also suggest that genetic differences between Indigenous people in different areas of the country 
are due to adaptation of those populations in different areas. The authors reckon that 50,000 years is long enough to actually have adaptation to the local conditions. So, for example, people in Tasmania would have different tolerances to cold than people who uh, had spent 50,000 years in desert areas, for example. And it also confirms other archaeological evidence for the settlement of Australia. So it actually, the, the genetic information they've collected matches the estimated times of various archaeological discoveries that have been made about Indigenous people in Australia as well. well no, I was going to ask about that because I'm pretty certain there was like a uh, study last year about an archaeological site that was quite considerably older than 50,000 years. Um, and I think it was in South Australia and then, you know, which is from what you're saying is kind of the more recent kind of meeting up. So it's, how it's, accurate is, how I guess, how accurate is this? And if there are conflicts with other evidence, you know, how do we know what is what is correct? Well, the main, the main thing that they're going by is the limited samples that they collected in the 20th century, yep. plus more recently collected stuff from, from people who are still living. Yep. And they, they admit that, that the data they have, they can't make... Well, they're, they're not trying to claim anything longer than what they think their data can prove. So basically, okay. they're, they're saying that at least 50,000 years ago, okay. there was people in Australia. Do they give a range, like a estimate range? Like often with a scientific result, you're given like an uncertainty kind of limb range? They, of... They, 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 in the paper, they said between 43,000 and uh, I think 48,000 years ago. Right. That's what they're, you know, they're saying we can definitely show that okay. it was within that range. But, you know, this is the thing. We're talking about millennia ago. Mm. Um, it is very difficult to... To put that, uh, to put an exact figure on it, and they're also basing their mitochondrial analysis on other populations from other parts of the world. So the, the mitochondrial clock that they're kind of using to yeah. estimate the time spans might not actually match up, okay. and they need to do more work in that area to actually yeah. get more precise data about what's actually going on. But you know, it is pretty amazing science to be able to do that, and and you know, suggest that the Australian Indigenous people represent the oldest continuous culture in the world because the regional cultures have stayed in their regions for such a long period of time. Uh, and they were isolated from uh, culture exchange with other populations for that whole time as well. So it's quite an unusual situation that they're in um, to be so isolated and so uh, static in their in their location as well for all that time. Um, they do, as I said, they point out that they need to do more work, um, but they are pretty confident that the original Australians were here for many tens of thousands of years. And based on what they have of the interaction of the, the different groups of Indigenous people in Australia, they have put a figure on that at least for 32,000 years that they were a distinct people and separate from the people in Papua New Guinea right, okay. and, and other places like that. So it is, it is pretty, um, it's pretty amazing to actually finally have this sort of definitive uh, figures that they can you know, use in future to compare more data, which they'll obviously keep collecting.
across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to Lost in Science. Now, Chris, um, have you heard about the NASA twins, Mark and Scott Kelly, who are identical and also NASA astronauts? I did see this in the news recently, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, now, they are both in a pretty unique position. They share the exact same DNA. They have the same profession. And, of course, they work at the same space agency. How convenient. <laughs> How convenient. Two people who are astronauts working at the same, same space, space agency. Because they've got a lot of choice, yeah, I guess, yeah. being Americans. Yeah, they're identical twins. Is they are identical correct? twins. Okay. Indeed. And as you know, identical twins, they have exactly the same DNA. Right. Yep. Well, NASA, being the scientific institute it is, has the opportunity to consensually exploit the fact that they have this same genetic makeup and have used the twins to study um, what happens to the human body in space. Excellent. Now, this is not... They're not doing, like, Einstein's famous twin paradox experiment, are they? Well, if you explain that to me, I can tell you. It was just a simple thing to demonstrate how relativity affects time in that you have, like, two twins. One stays on Earth, the other one goes on a space voyage and comes back and is younger than the twin stayed on Earth because of time has passed differently due to physics. I'm sure there would be some physics nerd in NASA that would have brought that up and tried to test that okay, in okay. this twin study. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. But that wasn't the purpose of the <laughs> that experiment. That wasn't the purpose of okay. the experiment. This is biologists running the experiment. Ooh, okay. Yep. Um, so one twin goes into space for a year. So that would happen to be Scott went into space. He spent 340 days on the um, International Space Station. It's a very long time. Yeah. So it was a year, pretty much, more or less. A space year. A space year? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the other identical twin, that would be Mark, um, he stays on Earth and he is the control, as every experiment needs a control. Uh, from there, NASA can see what happens to the human body um, on a physiological level, psychological, um, and also uh, what happens to genes and the way that they express themselves as proteins as well when the human body is in space for extended periods of time. Now, this is pretty important as NASA wants to know what's going to happen to the human body during really long space flights. Uh, for example, to Mars. Yeah, and I guess normally, I mean, there's been a lot of people go up into space for long periods of time, but you can't work out whether yep. what people are different, like you're unique, and yep. yeah, what happened, what happened to that person stayed on Earth for that same period of time. You need a baseline. Yeah. Yeah. You need a control. You need a control. Yeah. Uh, and NASA says this is the perfect. Nature versus nurture study. They just couldn't pass it up, which is fair enough. NASA versus nature versus nurture. <laughs> now, the study's been ticking along for the last couple of years, but recently some reports have come out in the media and they've been making some pretty big claims. So news articles claim that after one year in space, Mark and Scott Kelly are no longer identical twins. That's what they're saying. That's the headline yes. I think I saw, yeah. That is the headline. And you're like, what? What do you mean? Is this some sort of Einstein paradox? No, it isn't. The reason behind this headline is that they say that Scott's DNA has changed, um, fundamentally changed. Uh, so they no longer have exactly the same DNA. Therefore, they are no longer identical twins. That's what these news reports were saying anyway. That's a, yeah. That's what the news reports okay. were saying. And I think you might have seen, seen Yeah, them, yeah, right? yeah. And this is why I've got a confused look on my face. Because how yeah. – what? Yeah, because it's a huge thing to happen. I mean, changing your DNA yeah. fundamentally, that's like 
mutation, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's really, really, really big. It did happen to various superheroes who went into space. I will point that out. <laughs> well, like X, X people. Well, I think in the Fantastic Four in particular. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in light of this, these reports, uh, NASA put out a statement on Thursday to set things straight. They wanted to clear up the facts um, and let it be known that Mark Kelly and Scott Kelly are just as much twins as they were before Scott went into space. Um, now, the confusion with the reporters happened around the difference between genes and DNA and gene expression, which is the product of, I guess, reading the genes. Mm-hmm. So the things like proteins that you get from gene expression. Yeah. Um, so what NASA found was that there is a change in the way that Mark's DNA or genes were expressed, so the proteins that came out, not in their fundamental makeup. Wouldn't that be always be a change if you're undergoing a different environment, like different proteins are going to be? That's a very astute thing to say, Chris. Right. Yes, there would. So, yeah, so it means not that their blueprint, so the DNA wasn't okay. changed. Um, it was the final product that was changed. And, yeah, this this can happen under a range of different circumstances, a range of different environments. Um, it can happen under stress. It can happen when you go mountain climbing. It can happen uh, when you scuba dive. Uh, so what they actually found was that there was a change in around 7% of the expressed genes. And this is completely normal this 7% of expressed genes Mm -hmm. um, changing a little bit or the expression changing a little bit. So what types of gene expression were affected? I hear you ask silently in the ice. Yeah, yeah. I was was sitting back (laughs) from the microphone. That's why you couldn't hear me. (laughs) Um, It was his immune system. So things like DNA repair and bone formation and then also his ability to adapt to low oxygen environments and elevated um, CO2 environments as well. And one other really cool thing they found was through this twin study was that Scott's telomeres, so that is the end part of the chromosome that shortens as you age and it's been linked to ageing in general, so the shorter your telomeres. It's like the bit on the end of the shoelace that stops the shoelace from unravelling, isn't it? Yeah, 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 and the shorter it gets... The, the more you age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or vice versa. The older you get, the shorter it gets. Um, it actually became significant long, significantly longer in space, these telomeres. Oh, so it did come back younger. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. But, Chris, before you start making plans to head into space to chase the um, fountain of youth, uh, the researchers also found that the majority of these telomeres shortened again within two days of his return to Earth. So So unless you want to stay in space forever, you're not going to reap the benefits of that. Okay. So that's like the – okay, so the telomere one is – obviously that's kind of – that's pretty cool. Um, the other changes, do we know whether, the, very hard to say this probably, were they for good or for bad that they changed? Like, so there were changes to like his immune system things I mean, in he a was, good way or a bad way? He was just adapting to the environment okay. that he, he was in. So he didn't come back super, he just came back different. Well, I mean, a little bit, a little bit super. Okay. Isn't all difference a little bit super? Maybe. Anyway, um, there's going to be a more a more detailed report to come out at the end of the year, yep. so we can hopefully get a bit more information okay. about this. But I'm really glad that these two identical twin brothers can still call themselves space twins. 
You're listening to Lost in Science on the Community Radio Network. My name's Chris, and we are rapidly approaching the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And this time every year, Lost in Science, we try to find that hallowed ground where science and comedy meet. And this year, for her second appearance, we have friend of the program. I can call you that, can't I? Yes. Good. Uh, Atlanta Collie, uh, to talk about her show coming up at the Comedy Festival, uh, it's called Days of Our Hives. <laughs> Welcome to Lost in Science, thank, Atlanta. Thank Welcome you back for having to Lost me. In Science. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having me back. Now, Days of Our Hives, tell me, what is it about? Uh, it's about bees. Uh, I'm, I'm a beekeeper. I have been for, for a few years now. Um, and it's, about, it's a show about me failing to keep said bees. So, uh, yes, it's about the trials and tribulations of beekeeping in, in Northcote in, in Melbourne, um, also, hives is, is another word for rash, and someone pointed out I often come out bright red when I'm doing comedy, so maybe it's a it's the days of my hives okay. as well. Yeah, uh, you don't worry about you don't get you're not allergic to bee stings yourself. No, um, no, do, I do pretty well with bee stings. You you know you sort of get on through. You can get more allergic the more you get stung. Um, I was reading a paper about that today. Yeah, yeah actually, right. yeah. It's so interesting with allergies because it can go both ways, can't it? You can get more allergic yeah. or there's also gradual exposure therapy which can reduce your allergic reaction to stuff. So I don't understand why it can go in both directions, Chris. Did you, did you cover no, that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I'll, I was I reading a paper. I was basically just reading the abstract. But anyway. <laughs> it's better than the title. <laughs> that is true. Uh, okay, so how did you become a beekeeper, um, allergies or none? <laughs> um, well, I was a broke 20-something and I was, I was traveling around Europe and uh, there's a thing called woofing. I don't know if you've heard of woofing, willing workers on organic farms, um, where you can exchange your labor for, um, for food and uh, board, which is very quaint, very... 18th century. Yeah, I ended up in the Czech Republic on an apiary, which had about 50 hives. And I was quite scared of the bees. Um, they were quite aggressive bees as well. Um, they were doing varroa mite research on the, on the bee, on the aviary. But uh, yeah, I got involved. I learned all about bees. I got, got a sense of when a bee's happy and when a bee's angry and when you should run and <laughs> when you should stay. Okay, varroa mites. Can you just uh, remind us what a varroa mite is? A varroa mite is, uh, it's a really nasty little mite that attacks bees and it's not in Australia, which is really good, but it's one of the major causes of colony collapse disorder, which is uh, the sort of phenomenon that's been uh, observed across the world um, where large numbers of worker bees just leave the hive and they don't come back and the hive basically collapses because there's only got a couple of bees left in it. So varroa mites, one of the big global issues uh, contributing to the decreasing number of bees. And so quite a few people are trying to research how to, how to keep bees safe from the varroa mite. Okay, so we are um, ostensibly a science program here. Can you, and you've filled me in and obviously some good science so far with the varroa mites. Can you tell Excellent. me some other interesting facts about bees that you have that you are going to be sharing with people in the course of your in your show. Sure. Uh, well, one of my favourite tidbits that I found was the relationship between bees and wasps. And uh, they're both from the Hymenoptera family, so they, they've both evolved from the same channel through evolution. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the original, the ancestor of the, the bees are carnivorous wasp as well. Uh, but bees are vegan. They're very, and, you know, take the high road when it comes to that sort of thing. So... Bees uh, get eaten by wasps. Wasps like to actually sneak into the hive and attack the bees and eat them. 
But the bees have come up with this really amazing defense mechanism, which is to surround the wasp and to create friction. And I read this. A bee can survive up to a temperature of 47.5 degrees and a wasp can survive up to a temperature of 46 degrees. So the bees create enough friction, they actually heat it up to 47 degrees and they cook the wasp alive, which is just amazing because there's not many ways to kill a wasp, so that's a really good one. Well, there's a lot of waggle room there in that temperature difference. There is not much waggle. Oh, dear. Little little bee joke there, oh. <laughs> which I'm sure you've gotten all the bee jokes Just for the last program. twelve months. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> That's a new one. That's a new yeah, one. Okay. Now, speaking of combining science and comedy, you are also one of the people behind SciFight, which yeah. is a science comedy debate series. That's right. Who who's who's winning, science or comedy, oh. in the process of this? That's a really good question. I like to mix them up. I don't. I don't make the scientists and the comedians fight each other per se. Both okay. teams. Okay. So has... it's not one team of science, one team of comedians. No, that'd be interesting. I don't know who would win. I think to, uh, the audience. So I get the audience to vote at the end, and they tend to, they tend to pick the side which has the more ethical side of the debate. Okay. I don't know if they're necessarily voting on the merit of the debaters. They might be. It's very hard to tell, not really paying attention. Um, It's great. I love getting scientists and comedians on a stage together. The scientists are often very scared (laughs) about the whole thing, and as a result, they put in an enormous amount of work, uh, and the comedians have often just prepared in a good 20 minutes before the show. (laughs) Just a couple of jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's mean to say that. It's it's true. I don't think anyone would debate that. So you you do get some absolutely brilliant stuff coming from from both sides of the coin. Okay. And what's yeah. what's your next topic of sci-fi? It's on May ten. Uh, the topic is free will ain't free, um, which is very pertinent in the time of all of the Facebook data leaks and everything else. That's, that's an excellent point. Uh, we should get the details of Days of Our Hives. Can you yeah. tell us where, when, and how it is all on? Yeah, I can. Um, April 9 to April 22nd is my, my run. So it's at the Belleville, um, which is up Globe Alley, just in Chinatown there. So it's a really great little location. 7.15. You can get tickets through Try Booking. Yeah, that's pretty much all the, the details, really. Well, thank you very much. Good luck with the show. And thanks for joining us again, um, comedian Atlanta Collie. Thanks, Chris. And that's all we have time for in another episode of Lost in Science. Thank you so much for joining us. And a big thanks to Alanta Collie for coming into the studio and talking to us about her Melbourne International Comedy Festival show. Yep. Thank you, Chris. And thank you to Stu for your stories. Yes, and thank you to the Space Twins. And thank you to the Space Twins, absolutely. Lost in Science is recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We would love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us. We love an email at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at lostinscience1 or on Facebook on Lost in Science on 3CR or you can just tune in again next week when Chris, Stu and Claire will once again get Lost in Science.
Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.